morning, everybody. It's always good to be back. Feels a little, I don't know, it's always interesting to stand up here after sneaking up here so many times after church and playing around with the big key that always was under here. But, um, Ray, did that video actually work? Super. So not to uh, put in a shameless plug for a, a totally different camp that you don't support, but... Um, uh, about, well, this morning I was thinking about it and with the weather, it doesn't feel like summer so much. So as a bit of a pick-me-up and as a bit of a segue into uh, what I'm going to be talking about, uh, we have a, a promo video um, that we show. I'll explain a little bit later about how we're involved in that. But uh, if you want to roll that video, it's just a promo of the camp that we run. The reason I wanted to show it as well, uh, other than just to see the sunshine, was to uh, just kind of bring into perspective for myself, like, the majority of, of my testimony is wrapped around camp. And um, the passage that we're going to be talking about today, uh, for me, is embedded in my experience in camp. And I know Turtle Mountain is gearing up for a, a year as well right now. And, and I just, more than anything, I've become just a, a camp pusher for anybody. And so um, my wife and I have been directing Gospel Light Bible Camp for the last, uh, this will be our fifth summer, I guess. And... Um, one of the reasons we really wanted to do it is because it, it was just wrapped up in what we had done uh, as youth, and uh, it was a huge part of our faith story. And so, um, so I can't really talk about this passage without talking about camp, and I'll, I'll share a little bit more about my, my own experience, which was uh, at Turtle Mountain Bible Camp. Um, <clears throat> if I were to sum up the whole message uh, in one word, it would be the word surrender. Um, and I didn't realize it, but quite a few years ago, I, I think it was 1998, uh, God was really working on me in terms of surrender. And so although this, this passage leads up to uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the, the previous few verses is what I want to concentrate more on because the Good Samaritan is the, is the outcome, but it requires something before you get there. And that's the part I want to talk about today. Um, <clears throat> Jill and I as directors... Uh, of Gospel Light Bible Camp, we, we love our role, and our role is primarily discipleship. Um, we, we love the campers, we love the camp activities, uh, and we love our staff, because our staff have, in a sense, surrendered. They've surrendered their summer, they've surrendered their time and effort, and they want to come up and do something of, of eternal value. And in doing so, we get to work with them, and we get to encourage them, and we get to support them, and challenge them along the way. The, the next three um, kind of points I'm going to make about this passage are based on just a, a summary of devotions that we had done um, one summer. I think it was a couple summers ago. But it's basically the how, what, and why of surrender. So before we jump back into the passage, I want to take a, a real honest survey right now. And if, and if you can participate, that'd be super. Um, the honest survey goes like this. How many people... Well, and we can all raise our hands. How many people went to church at least once this month? If we can just do a quick show of hands. Good. I'm confused about those who didn't put up their hand right now. Um, how many people attended youth this month? Super. How many people prayed at least mm, five separate times this week? How many people did their devotions without fail every day this week? This is really putting people on the spot, hey? 
And with all of those questions, I, I wonder if you ask yourself, do you ever wonder if you're doing enough? So if you check yourself right now, do you, do you have that little bit of guilt of like, oh, I, I'm behind on my devotions. Oh, I didn't, I didn't pray enough this week. Oh, I shouldn't have skipped church to go camping, which we all get the urge now, right? Um, and the reason I ask that is because I think that that haunts us a little bit, right? Is it actually enough? And I pull a little teacher trick on you right now. It's okay, Jesus did this a lot. He answers a question um, with another question by saying that you're not asking the right question. And the fact that if it does haunt you a little bit, and if you are thinking currently, and you're measuring, oh, I did this three times, or I did that four times, if you're counting it up, you're not asking the right question. It's not a measuring stick. And the idea of surrender doesn't have anything to do with, with what stack of what you are accumulating, with, with how many hours you're putting in. And that's, that's where I want to get into this passage. So, if you turn with me um, to Luke twenty five twenty eight, sorry, Luke ten twenty five two twenty eight, and I appreciate it. it was already read this morning. I have a Spanish English translation, so I'm just going to roughly translate, uh, just just on the fly, just to see if it's any any different. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I love these characters in the Bible. Have you ever thought about that guy? You imagine that guy waking up in the morning? What must he have been thinking? Hey, I heard, you know, the Son of God is in town. So I'm going to cut right to the chase. I'm going to go challenge this guy just to see what I need to do to, to uh, obtain eternal life. He obviously didn't pass this by like a wife or somebody who, who would have said, this is a terrible question. You are, you know, you're digging yourself a grave asking this question. But it was a great teaching moment for Jesus, so we appreciate that he did. But anyways, here's, here's my, my loose translation. Jesus replies, well, what is, it, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, uh, love the Lord your God with most of your heart, uh, a little bit of your soul, some of your strength, the peace of your mind, and love your neighbor at least as much as your car. <laughs> Got one. Um, that, that's not exactly what your translation says, does it? Because I think that's, that's sometimes the way that we look at it. We look at it as, oh, I'm, I, I did better than this guy, or I did this much this week, or I did more this week than last week, so that's, that's got to be in the right direction. But if you look at the, the words in there, all of your heart and all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind, and love, love your neighbor as yourself. And I can't help but think every time I read this passage, is that actually possible? Are we actually humanly possible? Like, are we humanly capable of actually doing that? I don't know. I don't know if, it, if that's even within what we can do. Which I'm sure Jesus would say, that doesn't matter. I just said that's what you're supposed to try and do. 
But when you think about <clears throat> some of the Old Testament stories, the ones that we, we read in Sunday school and the ones that we talk about, it's amazing some of those faith stories for the people who are just completely sold out, the, pe- the people who have surrendered everything that they have. Uh, I'll prove this to you. If you flip to Genesis 22... You get the story where Abraham is tested. So a quick little setting, and this is just a bit of rough details, but, but Abraham has waited for a son for just about 100 years, and he finally is granted a son. So then we see in Genesis 22, and I'll start reading at verse 1, that, that God tests him, and it literally says, Sometimes later, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. The Bible doesn't fill in a lot of details. And I'm curious about verses two and a half there, because verse three says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. I have a feeling in verse two and a half, if it were in there, it would be how Abraham was up all night screaming and shouting, probably throwing things, because he's waited for so long and prayed to his God that he would, he would provide him a son, and he finally does, and God asks him to give it back. Now, we don't know his, in, his initial reaction, but we know that as of morning, he was obedient. So I'm going to go quickly through the rest of it here. So he saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the wire and the wood are here. I see what I did. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged wood on it. He bound his son and laid, it on the, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Because you have not withheld me from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its thorns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from, a second, from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, That because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. 
Your descendants will take possession of the cities and their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And we love that story, right? That's one of the inspirational stories from our, our youth. And we, we hold Abraham in high regard. And I wonder sometimes that if we, had, if we had a modern example of that, if we had a modern example of somebody who would surrender their whole lives, their whole, their whole everything, what it would look like in today's society. I'm pretty sure in that case, if you, if you slid that up a few thousand years, child and family services would have been called fairly quickly, right? I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gone very far. Um, and to be honest, even within the Christian community, we would, have, we would have passed it off as maybe a lunatic, maybe somebody who's a bit fanatic, somebody on the edge. Recently, I heard of a, a friend of mine uh, in the Winkler area. He, one of his, this is secondhand, but a, a friend or relative that felt like God was telling him he needed to sell his house and give away half the money and, and then figure out what to do. He didn't have that last piece of info. So he sold his house and gave away the money. So he didn't have money to buy a new house. Ended up staying with some friends or family. And the majority of the people that I was in conversation with were Christians. And the sentiment was, yeah, that, that crazy guy, he's, he's kind of weird. I don't know if I would do something so extreme. Extreme? Really? More extreme than taking your only son up a mountain to sacrifice him to God? I don't know, it's hard sometimes in these days we have such a, a cozy life to be able to think about how extreme God might actually call us to be. What are we actually willing to give up? What are we actually willing to do? Our biblical heroes were ones that surrendered big time. They surrendered all. They surrendered their, their time, sure. They surrendered their money, but they surrendered themselves. And that's why we hold them in high regard, because we know that takes, that takes a serious amount of faith. But you'll notice that at which point, and I think it ends somewhere around uh, verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. Until that point, Abraham was going to go through with it. But everything that happens after verse 12 is all blessing. And it's all good. God not only provided the, the offering in place of his son, but then made promises to Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars, that they would um, you know, spread through all nations. And the blessings that he really, really wanted to receive were now granted to him because he was willing to forego those. Because if you think about the, the shift here, he was going, in a, in a matter of minutes here, he was going from not ever having an heir because he was going to sacrifice the only one that was actually given to him. And his family lineage would stop there. To having his descendants as numerous as the stars because he was willing to forego that. And the only thing that we really knew about him in the previous chapters is that is, was his entire goal. He, that he wanted more than anything. He wanted his son. 
so that he could pass on his family his, his name. And when it's finally granted, God wanted to see how much he actually loved God. Would he be willing to actually give that up, even though that's the thing seemingly on earth was the most important to him? And isn't that always the case? When we give of ourselves, um, we always find that the blessing that comes is always better than what we would have chosen in the first place or what we were trying to hold on to in the first place. Jill and I have a, a standing joke with, with ourselves this that whenever we're low on money, that we need to really give more because the only time that we've ever been blessed abundantly with money is when we've given when we didn't feel like we had enough to give. And when we've given those that money or that time or that effort, it always comes back as more. And so, um, we, yeah, we stand to learn from the acts of surrender in the Bible here. So if that's the, the how of surrender, what is it that we're asked to surrender? Because it's not like there's a nice, nice list. If you want to be a class, class A Christian as opposed to a class B Christian, you have to give up so much. Uh, of your time or your money. We don't have those types of lists. And so, what is it that we actually need to surrender? I think these days, uh, our surrender often is equated with Lent. At least in the circles that, I, that I'm familiar with. And it's a bit of an odd thing because, and I stand to be totally uh, corrected here, but I believe Lent is actually a Catholic tradition, not a Christian tradition. But anyways, we have adopted Lent in many Christian circles. And... More than one of my friends has, has taken the Lent idea to give up something, whether that be chocolate or TV or something, as this is worship to God. Which, granted, if those things are standing in the way of you worshiping God and you being your closeness to Him or your time with Him, then they definitely should be given up. But it is very hard not to judge when those same people literally do kind of count it. Oh, you gave up this for Lent? I actually gave up this much for Lent. Right? Like, as though there is a better giving up for, for the Lent type of season. The other part that I always kind of um, enjoy about the Lent season is those who give up, let's say it is chocolate for Lent. And at the, at the commencement of Lent, the chocolate binge that happens afterwards is... <laughs> A bit comical to me, but we're obviously missing something there, right? As far as maybe for that time, sure, we have, we've, we've allowed ourselves to kind of push it aside and not think about it as much. But it's definitely, we're definitely thinking about it if we return to it immediately afterwards, right? So what, what is it? How do we give of, or what do we actually give up? I'm going to go back to Luke, just the, the chapter right before, in Luke 9. 57 to 62. Luke 9, 57 to 62 says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, This is Jesus he's talking to, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Well, foxes have holes and birds, have the air, birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another man, Follow me. 
But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. These are all reasonable things as far as our culture is concerned. To take care of business, to take care of social sensitivities, to to bury the dead, to say goodbye to loved ones. Those are all very reasonable things that we wouldn't have objections to. But Jesus is making a point here, saying that if if you're in, you, you better be all in. Because there's no room for reservations here. Again, it, it, I question myself, man, could I, could I actually do that? Could I be that sold out that I would be willing to forego some of those things that on, on earth here mean the most to me? And so if I bring it back to the right question we should be asking ourselves, it's not a how much. The question simply is just, will I? Will I surrender? Because I don't think there's so, so many degrees of surrender. It's kind of a yes or no. Yes, I will surrender to Christ, or no, I won't. Because all he's really asking us to do is surrender ourselves. We all come with different gifts and talents. We come with different abilities. We come with different amounts of, of money or or children, or things like that, that we could commit to, to God. But there's no measure that way. It's just whether we are willing to or not. Um, I have a quote from a classic devotional, Oswald Chambers' My Utmost for His Highest. Appreciate, Dad, that this was in your basement because I totally forgot mine at home. But of the classic version, because I think there's a new version out there, um, of the classic version, one of the passages on a, on a September 27th goes like this. The person who says, Lord, I will follow you, but, is the person who is intensely ready to go, but never goes. This man had reservations about going. The exacting call of Jesus has no room for goodbyes. Goodbyes, as often as we use them, are pagan, not Christian, because they divert us from the call. Once the call of God comes to you, start going and never stop. And it's at this point I want to kind of bring it full circle and, and tell you about my experience with that call. I didn't realize I was be, being called, but I was being called. In the summer of 1998, I was halfway through college, um, having a great time playing basketball and soccer and studying sometimes. I enjoyed my time there. I lo- learned a lot about my faith. I learned a lot about, about God, maybe more outside the classroom than in, but um, learned a lot of good lessons there. And that summer, um, my whole goal was to come home, make money, buy a car. That was it. And go back to school. And so I had a job set up uh, months in advance so that I could start working immediately when I got back. I live in mom and dad's basement. That's a nice cheap arrangement as well. So I could make as much money as possible, buy a car, and then go back to school. And 
the, sometimes God opens doors and sometimes he closes them. That summer he closed one after the other. I had a backup job even because I was, this was my focus. So the first job fell through in dramatic fashion. The second one fell through as well. And all of a sudden I was back home and granted I wasn't paying rent but I wasn't making anything either. And in the time leading up to that end of, of season, a friend of mine from college said, hey, I'm actually going out to work at uh, your home camp. I'm going out to Turtle Mountain Bible Camp. Would you consider being a male counselor there because we're, we're short-staffed? Which now I totally feel, I get that. Man, we've been, uh, we've been trying to find staff like crazy lately, and I, I understand her persistence. And I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm getting a job, I'm buying a car. That's what I'm doing. I had control of this, obviously, right? Um, and so then, I know that she had called me three times already. And each time I had said no. The last time I had said no was even sitting at home with no job and still said, no, I'm not going to go because I'm waiting for the job that's going to make me more money and buy the car. Until one night, and I don't know exactly what changed that night, and I wasn't thinking about this passage or about, uh, wasn't reading Oswald Chambers, but I got this feeling one night that, that it was about me and it wasn't about camp per se. And I had this feeling that God was saying, will you? Not how much. I know you've been involved in this youth. I know you've been involved volunteering here. I know you've been doing those things. And that's, that's not my concern. We're not piling up your volunteer and service. He was asking me, will I? And so I prayed the one night. I said, you know what? I said, if, this, if you are trying to teach me something, and if you are wanting me to commit, I said, then if that's what you want me to go, then I'll go. I wasn't willing to do anything about it, to be honest, because I had already said no very concretely three times. But I said, if you are really willing, or if this is what you want for me, then I'm willing to go. I woke up the next morning to the phone ringing, which was odd in t for two reasons. Usually, mom or dad would have that phone in the morning. And three, it's a soundproof room in the basement, and I'm a fairly good sleeper, so it shouldn't have woken me anyway. But I woke up to the phone, and I ran out to pick it up. I ran out to pick it up because I knew who it was. And when I picked up the phone, I kind of scared her because I said, hey, Jess, I'm in. And she said, how do you know it was me? And I said, well, <laughs> it sounds funny, but, but God told me I was going. And so I went to camp that year, and uh, that summer changed my life. I didn't necessarily do a, a 180 from, from drugs and alcohol and gangs, but he straightened my path that year. I was following lots of different things. I was trying to go lots of different ways. I felt like I was in control of what I was doing. And I went to camp that year, and the one lesson he taught me was that, that it wasn't about me. I went there, and 
I feel for those who counsel for the first time because as a, I think I was 19 at that point, as a 19-year-old counselor, I had 15 seven- and eight-year-old boys by myself in a cabin because they were so short-staffed. And I barely made it through that week. I don't know how they didn't kill me. But uh, I went through numerous weeks that, that summer, and the one week that stuck out for me, <clears throat> I'll try and keep this short and make it through it, um, was the one where I had some just terrible boys. They were just terrible. That's all I can describe them. God loves everybody, and that's good, because these ones were terrible. <laughs> but there was a couple really nice kids in there, and I felt bad for them because they were getting picked on all the time. And at one point, um, I went into the cabin to one of the nice little boys. He was bawling in the corner, and I said, what's the problem? He's like, well, my pottery's broken. He had made some in crafts, and I said, oh, what happened? You drop it? No, this kid broke it. And I went out to the back to find it. Oh, he was actually still breaking it. He was grabbing it and just throwing it against the cabin. And I said, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm breaking the pottery. Why? Because it's his. They're terrible, see? And I didn't kid. That's not nice at all. And so I was like, I prayed and I said, God, I don't, I don't have the strength and I don't have the love for these kids. If you're going to speak to these kids, it's like, then you have to do it because I... I'm going to hurt him. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so anyways, we, we went through the week, and slowly but surely, this kid, he would just watch, and he'd watch. Oh, I'm not going to do it. Um, and the end of the week just broke me, because we sat around the campfire, and it's a very emotional time for a lot of kids who had made decisions, who had recommitted their lives, who had, who had maybe felt love for the first time. And so I'm sitting with two of my boys... Um, one under each arm that are, that are sobbing at the campfire because they've had a very emotional week. And down the bench, there's another one of my boys. And I was the only counselor in the, in the cabin, so I was like, I can't even get to him. And the same boy who had broken his pottery. <laughs> The same boy who had broken his pottery looked at me. He saw what I was doing. And he slid over next to him. And he put his arm around him and he said, he said, that's okay. We're in this together. I said, well, well, praise God, because I would have hurt him. But, but you chose to love him. And there's definitely nothing that I could have done. And I knew that I didn't have that measure. And the blessing that I saw from surrender... It's something that's going to stick with me forever. It's going to get me in trouble at some point, but I still have yet to say no to anything that, that God has asked me to do as far as church or camp or whatever involvement. Things that I've never wanted to do, be on church boards, things like that. I didn't ever want to do that stuff. But when I surrender and I said, I'm going to do that because you want me to or you're going to use me in that way, the blessings that come back are just gigantic. We didn't really want to run camp either. When we came back, we didn't even know if we knew how to live in this country. And so, you know, getting bank accounts and mortgages and stuff were all foreign to us. And so we really tried not to run camp the first year we were out here. But we finally said, you know what? This is something that's been big for us. We feel comfortable enough here. Let's do it. And now we can't imagine. We can't imagine what it would be like if we didn't. 
and our kids would be very angry at us. <clears throat> if you flip back a few in the old classic, My Atmosphere is Highest, a few days prior to that, he also has this quote. True surrender is not simply surrender of your external life, but surrender of our will. And once that is done, surrender is complete. The greatest crisis we ever face is the surrender of our will. Yet God never forces a, never forces a person's will into surrender, and he never begs. He waits patiently until that person willingly, willingly yields to him. And once that battle has been fought, it never needs to be fought again. Appreciate that. Surrender of our will is the, is the toughest one. And I know that um, for most of us, the fact that you're sitting here today means at some point you surrendered your will. There are churches and there are people who show up just because my family always has. That's what we do in this community. That's where my friends are. But I don't want to I don't want to underestimate the power of that surrendering of will. Because it changes the direction of your life. And we have to be reminded sometimes because there's so many distractions. But we have to remind ourselves of the decision that we made. Because when we stay on that path and we stay with that surrender, the blessings, the blessings are, are more than we could imagine. And this might seem a little bit redundant, but the final point, just to close, is, is the why. Then why surrender? If I go to Mark 8.34... In Mark 8.34, it says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The imagery there is powerful. To take up one's cross, I know we don't have crosses these days, but to take up one's cross, I think even our understanding of what biblical times are like, that's a pretty substantial um, act we're talking about. That's not committing to just show up in church. That's, that's a commitment of your life. And he follows it up with, with why we should do that. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words. And he follows on. I, I don't even need to read the last part there. But that, that's, that blessing that comes with the surrender. I mean, I don't think we could imagine it being better than that. And it's the one time I think that, that if you talk about surrender, we often assume that the white flag, surrender is defeat. But in this case, the this, this surrender, the white flag, it isn't defeat, it's victory. Because it's freedom. 
When we surrender, we get the only thing that actually matters in this world. To surrender our lives to Christ is to let God use our lives in the way that he intended. And you know that's better than anything and any path that we would have chosen. Because the God I know doesn't disappoint. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. And even though it's hard, we thank you for all kinds of weather. Thank you for... um, this building. I thank you for the people that made it. And I thank you for the, the body that this church is. I thank you for the support. I thank you for my, my own personal upbringing in this church and just how, how it had formed me. I thank you for Turtle Mountain Bible Camp. And I thank you for all of those pieces and all of those people who have surrendered their time and their effort in order to provide an opportunity for others to meet you. We don't know when it happens, and we don't know when you will call. But we pray, Lord, that when, when we hear the call, we will be ready to answer. And when we pray for our kids, and we pray for strangers, Lord, that when they hear you call, that they would be able to answer. Yes, Lord, I will go. Thank you again for today, Lord. Pray that you bless it. Amen.